Hey everybody, welcome back to Game Master's Getaway. This is Gary. Tonight we talk about uh, fudge and dice. We spend a lot of time talking about whether it's okay to fudge dice or not. Anyway, hey, thanks for joining us again. Listen, I know I announced that we're going to be doing the um, the every other, any given, every other Sunday Discord group, and it's taken me a little bit to get that set up. I am working on it. If you're interested, head over to the Facebook page. I really like tonight's conversation. I'll catch you on the back end of this. Hello. What's going on, Gary? Oh, not a lot, man. How you been? Good. Good. Yeah. Good. Good for you. I went to work today, sort of. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I've got a friend that uh, runs a little food joint around the corner, and I did deliveries all day. It was nice. It was nice. <laughs> yeah, get out uh, and uh, do yeah, kind of, just, yeah. Yeah, just being on the side. I drove around and listened to rock and roll and delivered food to people. It was fun. Hey, what's up, Brian? Hey, good evening, everybody. What's this rock and roll food delivery? You got a new gig? Well, it's now. So back in the day, here's the thing. If you play music, if you paint pictures, if you're a writer, whatever, I will always give the advice, keep a part-time job, even if it's only 10 to 15 hours a week, because in case a pandemic happens or something like that, you know, you might get some benefits, right? So I typically kind of have like two or three different part-time jobs and I don't sometimes I don't go to them you know what I mean this is pre-pandemic right so I'm mostly sure. playing music I'm mostly giving lessons um but you know there's good years and there's lean years right so sometimes you know you got to spend six weeks just doing some crappy menial job. And I had about three of those where I could just kind of call up and be like, Hey, can I work for a few weeks before this night? You know what I mean? Just something like that. And, uh, one of them called me. So I delivered sandwiches today. I drove around windows down in the sun, sunglasses on listening to rock and roll. Oh, so you, you had a nice day. See, we, we actually had snow today up here in New York. Uh, not a lot, but so I'm, I'm, I'm hating you right now. <laughs> it was <laughs> I bitter think, cold up here today. I think the high today was like 78. In oh, yeah. Yeah, it was be beautiful. Fun. It was beautiful. Yeah, it's West God. Coast weather. West Coast weather. So. Very much so. We get a couple months of this, and then it just gets rainy and nasty until it gets, you know, hot and wants to kill you and anyway whatever <laughs> hey <laughs> I, i'm really bitter about the weather here it's i i have been i love my home and i love texas and you know everything about it and i grew up in small towns and you know i really i, I love this place i hate the heat i can't stand the heat and um i just want to move man i just want to move anyway welcome here we are uh, old men complaining about weather. Uh, welcome to Game Master's Getaway. I'm Gary. Brian, <laughs> what are we talking about? I heard somebody say we're talking about Game Master mistakes. Uh, well, yeah, I was just kind of floating the idea um, because today 
I decided to wade into the wonderful world of Twitter and uh, sort of engage the community. Um, not saying that that was a mistake per se, though reasonable minds can disagree, I guess. Um, but someone posted something like, hey, DM tip, you know, don't use the average hit points listed in the monster stat. You know, keep it loose and, uh, you know, make it up as you go so you can craft dynamic battles and um immediately that individual got pounced on by a couple people who were like oh that's ridiculous that's terrible advice and um so i just threw my two cents in i said hey well you know 90 percent of the time i agree with you but what if you craft an encounter that you think is balanced or is going to be a good challenge for um your your players but on the uh, it's it's not it's like either way overpowered and you're going to crush your players uh or even in my opinion worse anticlimactic sort of like this is your big boss fight you know the the arch villain and uh he's going to be aced by your players in one turn in a very anticlimactic way i said at that point you know, I would fudge dice. I would play around with the hit points, give the guy a little more hit points, whatever, just to create, you know, that scene that the players have been waiting for, you know? And, oh, my God, I, I guess I'm in the minority. <laughs> I got attacked. Well, I wouldn't say attacked. That's that's putting it strongly. But there was a lot of people who were like, that's cheating. Um, I was like, whoa, D game masters can cheat? Um I don't, I've, I've never really thought about it like that. And, um, but I was really coming at it from what if the game master, you know, no matter what, and it happens to all of us, I think, you know, you're, you think you got a good idea for, and you craft like this encounter, but it goes completely wrong. Not in the sense of the players did something you weren't expecting and they take it off the rails, but like, you just didn't calculate something right. Um, you didn't take something into consideration and things are about to go really, really bad. Uh, maybe ruin the session, maybe potentially ruin the campaign. Um, and then, you know, so what do you do in those situations? And then more broadly speaking, I mean, game masters make all kinds of mistakes. You know, well, what do you do? Let's take this situation first. Brian, I want to hear what you have to say. Matthew, how dare you have exercise any domain <laughs> over how you like to enjoy the many, many hours that you spend designing and cultivating an experience for those people you care about and love? How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Look, there's different schools of thought on this, right? And there's no right or wrong answer because at the end of the day, your game is going to be as true as you want it to be. And I don't, I don't care how much of a slave to rules is written. A person might be um, some amount of innovation, some amount of adjustment or modification is absolutely vital for you to run the game that you want to run. Do I mean, this is one of those things where, where, where it's kind of like competing religions we all kind of have the same principles and, and code and tenets. They, they just, we, we might follow um, different doctrines, but at the end of the day, we're, we all want good. I mean, usually awful good. We, what we, we want, good. we want fun. 
is what we want. Why, yeah. if whoever that was, I yeah, I I agree, Brian. What are game master screens for? They're so you can fudge the dice roll completely, man. Um, look, here's the thing: you're in most of these games. You are the referee between a fight of imaginary characters versus imaginary monsters who were given arbitrary numbers to, you know, hopefully make for fun gameplay at a particular level. Right. I mean, I, it's right. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's, that's silly. Now I will say like, if you've got, players who are maybe just being stupid you know look every once in a while maybe somebody falls off the cliff right makes you know <laughs> something but you know if you've got players being stupid let them pay the price for that but in general i mean come on and we all do it he's done it a million times if you say i don't like this rule and you fudge that rule or you have a you know a house rule it's the same thing if you're playing any of these games completely rules as written i don't even think the creators of the game want you to do that I can't think of any role-playing system right now where I could say the creators absolutely do not want you to deviate from their rules at all. Well, we we have to also look at why is this sort of, of venom or passion, depending on your, your perspective, exists from a contingent of players, which it's, it's probably not a minority. It may not be a majority, but it's probably somewhere around, I don't know, one out of three. Half. There's, there's a lot of players that shudder to think that an experience might be manipulated in a way that they might not have control or that they feel that they've right, rightfully earned. I would imagine, Matthew, it, when you're when you're confronting uh, when you're confronted with these situations, it's because um, you want to preserve. I mean, is is it early on in your sessions, or is this towards? I imagine if it's early on, the the it's tolerance. whenever it's whenever right. It's it's whenever it needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah, no, that see, that's that's where I'm kind of with Gary on this. Like, uh, I think he and I are kind of in the same like headspace on this issue of uh, fudging dice or maybe even retconning something you made a, a ruling on. I mean, you do what is necessary for the story. I mean, and, and this is like the thing with this guy on, on Twitter, I don't want to make him sound like a monster. He wasn't, he, we, we just had a very passionate disagreement um, at the end of the conversation. I was like, dude, I kind of agree with you yeah. 90%. It's just like this one time where like, maybe I, I'm the one that made the mistake and, my player's experience shouldn't suffer for that. And that's where I'm totally going to fudge the dice. And I'm totally going to do something that maybe hopefully they don't catch. Right. So they think it's natural. Um, and uh, uh, I, yeah, like, yeah, I think he school of thought wise, uh, he focuses more on the game and he actually made that point. We forget that we are not just storytellers, we are referees. And I was like, yeah, I agree yeah, with you. <laughs> you, know? you see, but... I think that's the difference between um, it's simulation versus dramatization, right? It's it's the, Great are point. you playing um, 
Warhammer with with a story, or are you playing a story with you know variables? I guess. Um, I do look. I like to stay rules as written for the most part, um, but things happen, and and uh, like you said, a GM will make a mistake. <coughs> Excuse me. Now I will say, I don't. You know, ideally, we're all designing balanced encounters, and our players are, you know, doing the things they need to do to get through those. But every once in a while, things just go wrong. And I will let my party, I'll let them get hurt. I'll even let, you know, like I say, someone, you know, slips off the ledge or, or what have you occasionally. Um, but at some point, you can kind of move in with your story. Instead of fudging dice rolls, right? Like maybe you can alter the story in that moment. Uh, what's coming to mind right now is say if something is, if a fight is going bad. You know, when a fight's going bad for the X Men in the 80s, uh, Lockheed the Dragon swoops in and shoots fire in the bad guy's face and gives everybody just enough time to run away. Right? So. Players are pretty savvy and they will probably resent, you know, the do socks. Yeah. Like when, when we're having something happen as a delaying tactic, you can get away. I think that's like, a that's a, that's a flash in the pan. You get, you get one or two of those in a campaign. If it becomes a way of life. Then a- absolutely. So, but yes. like once or twice. Okay. And make it fun, Agreed. you know, but Gary, do you think that, that, uh, that the, I guess the, 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 the rationale for it was that you were concerned that it was just going to be a waste of everyone's time or it was going to be, they were going to get nuked or they were going to walk over to, I, can you give us some more context? Well, sure. I mean, in, you know, just thinking offhand. Okay, here, here's. An sorry, I meant right Matt. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, we're both so passionate, but Matt's the one that was on Twitter. Um so, so yeah, ahead, I'm sorry, yeah. Matt. Can you explain, <laughs> give more texture um, with with why why you had that feeling or why you what was the circumstance? Maybe a recent one. Like what was the? Oh, well, I, there wasn't any real circumstance. I mean, uh, that was um, like recent circumstance that that motivated my response to sort of try to find the middle ground between the initial tweet and the response. And then I, me interjecting. And then, I don't know, I guess I became the straw man. Everyone wanted to beat up on. Uh, but uh, I, I just think that, uh, well, my homebrew game, like they're all building up to this giant confrontation with this dragon. And I am and in the back of my mind watching, you know, fifth edition roll out and play out in front of me and how tough they're getting, even at like eighth, ninth level. I'm like, what if I design this entire battle? That's probably going to take four hours. Well, I'm in theory, take four hours and is done in okay. 20 minutes after everyone's taken their turn, you know? So that kind of thing's in the back of my mind. Um, I also have a friend who's been DMing. And he ran a one shot and he told me afterwards, he's like, um, I totally made my villain underpowered. I didn't realize how tough six level characters could be. Uh, I just was making, I was just adding hit points. I ended up giving him an extra 200 wow. hit points. So that fight was, was dramatic. And I said to him, well, I didn't notice that number one, 
number two, I think that was a good idea. Like I was in support of fudging the quote unquote hit point dice, right? Um, for a dramatic, and that battle was dramatic. Um, and we felt like we accomplished something at the end of it. Had we steamrolled this guy, um, I think we would have walked away from that one shot, just kind of been like, eh, good game, dude. dude I, you know, and then just kind of left it, you know? I have an example kind of like that, only on the other side of it, where when I was first running uh, Star Wars, the way minion groups work, um, they get real powerful if you get more than two or three. Uh, everything is upgraded. In my mind, when I was putting together like my first adventures, it was always, well, they die quick. I was thinking about how disposable the minion was, right? So I was putting together minion groups of like four or five stormtroopers and just ripping the hell out of my players, you know, <laughs> just because I didn't get it. So all I did was split the minion group. You know, I just, I says, Oh, well that's not going to work. So I split it, you know, luckily there's sort of an in-game rule, but I, if there wasn't that rule to be able to split the minion group or what have you, I would have, I would have done something. I mean, that was completely my mistake. This is interesting because I think players, uh, there are some that probably take a certain delight in in beating or winning or overcoming and putting us on our heels. Uh, it, it's not done from any malicious standpoint, but they they probably find it entertaining. Like we we trumped we trumped the GM and. It, it does become incumbent on us then to, to come up with something still. We've all been in those sessions that have ended too early because we, we maybe didn't project um, the, the design or the complexity or the challenge in a way that was appropriate. I think, you know, for me, I, I, I roll a lot out in the open, <laughs> like everything, uh, to kind of force myself to come clean. Have either one of you ever done uh, player-facing systems? I mean, anything where you don't have any DM rules at all and the players make all the rules. My homebrew rule set is completely player. What's that like? That's awesome. It's great. It's great. The players completely take control of everything. Just about um, occasionally I'll roll a die for an NPC, but the way, the way my homebrew works, NPCs just kind of give you bonuses to rolls, you know? Um, so yeah, they're making ninety nine percent of the rules. What does a I GM mean, um, mistake in encounter design look like in a system like that? Great question. Yeah, well, it just—I mean, it depends on the system. I mean, really, it's just about you know attack rating, defense rating, armor class, you know that kind of thing. Making the numbers too high or making the numbers too low, right? Hit points. I mean, I, I think it's the same thing that can go wrong in anything else. I don't know. Yeah, but I, I well, I say to interject, but I, I think recovery is going to be harder because it's all out in the open. Like Brian, I, I totally respect the fact that you play out in the open like that. I've, I've, I do that um, uh, with major boss fights in my um, dungeon crawl beer and pretzels game, so so they know it's all on the up and up. Um, but for you know making their way through the dungeon with just like the minor encounters uh, just so, you know, if something inadvertently um, is too powerful or something, I, I still have that kind of uh, ability to 
keep the the player's favorite character from being aced by some like low a lucky shot from a low level you know kobold or something that way you know if there is a death it's satisfying as opposed to you know random um but yeah i i've actually wanted to try player facing because i find it intriguing um i'm hesitant i've been hesitant um simply because of the control issue like I, I really feel like i would lose control of the session um but i i strangely you know i'm like being the op- trying to be open-minded and you know grow as a game master i'm like i'm, I'm gonna do it I'll, I'll i'll offer it to my my groups all of them really said, no. <laughs> they in fact one group said, yeah one group said why would you do that i don't want to roll that many dice like that that's your job you roll the dice and i was like Oh, okay. You know, <laughs> I was like, okay. Don't sure. ask them. Don't stop giving them choices. Listen, <laughs> you're such a fascist. <laughs> no, look, you, <laughs> just don't tell them it's player facing. Don't give them. They don't need to know. All, like we think of concepts like player facing and dice fudging and all that kind of stuff. They never need to know about that. If they're if they're game masters, they'll get around to it. You know. But it, as far as losing control, player facing, you know, I really, I'm so invested in the story, you know, that it's, people talk about the, the duex machina and, and how, you know, you don't want to do that. But if you plant the seeds for something in act one, you know what I mean? Like, let's say your characters are, are lost in the wilderness, right? But in act one, you know, the, the player in has some sort of tracking device, you know, that you, you blatantly mentioned, this is a track, you know what I'm saying? Like you've, you've kind of planted a seed. There's so many story. They're not, they're not just gimmicks. There are so many Mm -hmm. ways. If you, if your world has enough NPCs, if you think about things just enough, your story can a lot of times at least save you from the the TPK you know i don't know i just i don't see anything wrong with that at all i i think if out of nowhere you just pull like some random character and some random event you know to happen that makes absolutely no sense you know that's really that's just silly but if you're if your world has been, you know, if there's been a comet in the sky of your world for a hundred years, when you decide to bring it down, whatever, it's been there. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I have to think about it some more. Those are my general thoughts. Well, I see, I, I see what you're saying. And I, I actually don't, um, I guess I'm kind of like in sort of, uh, in the middle like uh, that is definitely something I would keep in my toolbox. You know, um, I think game masters need to. I mean, we're o- we're we're only human. We're going to make these mistakes from time to time in in encounter design, and it's kind of what we're talking about right now. But there's also mistakes that you can make in the story, like you, you know, some plot hole that you didn't realize uh, that that was in there for whatever reason. Maybe it was something. This actually happens to me a lot. Uh, players start kind of ad libbing. They kind of go off the rails a little bit than what i expected but everything is 
uh, cool. We're all having fun. So I'm ad-libbing myself, throwing stuff in there. Next thing I know, I've created three or four more NPCs that I got to keep track of. Uh, and, um, you know, down the road, you know, someone will actually ask the question, whatever happened to Joe Fighter and his, you know, quest to do such and such? Hmm. And I'm like, uh-oh, um, I am completely unprepared for that. Or, you know, I say even worse, and this has happened, where I say, okay, you know, uh, this happens and uh, the, the the king and the queen are, you know, concerned and they're calling upon you. And they're like, but why are they calling upon us? Didn't we back in three, four, five, six sessions ago, you know, make them angry and they don't want to talk to us anymore? And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Totally forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know, so I... I I, I think, you know, mistakes are going to happen. So, like, what do you do? You know, like, what kind of tricks do we all have? Um, I'm not opposed to retconning, like, flat out just saying, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Let me rephrase, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, of course, you know, I don't know if I could get away with that being, like, some random game master at a, um, you know, <laughs> gaming store that's, you know, volunteering. But I could definitely get away with it with my, like, crew because they – you know, so they're my friends. They so when care. you're when you do something like that and you forget a story detail and your players bring it up to you, the next time this happens, what you tell them is you say, "Yeah, that's strange, isn't it? Isn't it?" <laughs> that's a good idea, actually. <laughs> no, I I do it. I, I do it. <laughs> that's that's my yeah. advice. You have to look confidently <laughs> omniscient. If you can look confidently on missions and deliver it well, looks like there's something for us to find out now, isn't there? And and that's that is that's perfect. I confidently on mission. So you're the beyonder and you're waving your magic all throughout the world of Marvel to make and, and move. You know, it's uh it's fun whenever sometimes it's great though to let your players just totally own you in an encounter. It's good for morale. You you screwed up on the design, it was easy street. That's why, again, I love random encounters because then I can just throw something else in that maybe I already had pre-designed that hopefully still fits the setting, and now I can turn up the temperature. Um, it, it's it's one of those things that you know season to taste. <laughs> so season to taste with random encounters. If if they beat you, I I mean I I, I had that happen uh, four or five months ago. The town wizard that was the guy that was behind the vast conspiracy of uh, assassin elemental creatures in salt marsh i mean they just set up a really good ambush tagged him three times and dude fucking dropped um and i was like great job <laughs> you know i mean the, the battle with the elementals was was pretty right. pretty pretty significant and they had a, a battle with a with a a, a devil and they just, the roles were on. Like, they were doing great. They tactically did. They earned it. They earned it. And it ended probably uh, 30 or 40 minutes sooner. Uh, my buddy's wife, she was like, she's like, man, that, that Keladak, he, boy, he just dropped easy. I thought he was going to be a lot tougher. I was like, you know what? I did too, but you guys aced it. <laughs> you know, congrats. Um, you just, and then you just come up with something. Yeah. You just have something else as a random encounter or something else as a reward. Um, you know, the, the world, this, this kind of goes back to the whole difference of why I love a game. I was reading more on uh, Elder Scrolls, Morrowind, and why Morrowind not being leveled, what, one of the things that made it so great. Like you, 
you sometimes totally owned something and got to feel like a, well, like a superhero. Uh, and then other times, right. you know, whoa, I'm in way over my head. So, I mean, now that's, so this is like the next, next level, right? So now we talk about what are the dangers when you realize that months and months um, of, of planning is maybe unraveling a bit and the dice are going south or your dice are hot. Um, what does take, I mean, is, is that, what, what do you guys do to adjust in those situations where you you're starting to detect that what you did not anticipate would be a climactic session is about to become climactic for maybe all the wrong reasons. Well, the first thing is I don't plan months and months in advance for anything. <laughs> no, months and months uh, of work. That's, like, in other words, you've you've yeah you've got a, a group. Well, you mentioned like your your campaign nine months. Yeah, no, you're I, four or five right. months into your nine month campaign, and it looks like it's about to go off the rails. How do you course correct deftly? and still maybe preserve all the hard work that everybody wants to put in with some adjustments. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. It's just throwing darts. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So first off, I think this comes into like kind of how I play in games where it's, it, I, I, I try to find ways to think about it. It's like a pinball machine, right? Like there's, there's an objective and I just kind of populate, the world with what they're going to bounce off of as they try to complete this object objective. But at the same time, I know that for every act, there is an event that is going to take place. This is, I know this, I've said this before. So when I need to course correct, like I know uh, at the midpoint of act two, I know that there's going to be a big climactic, battle it doesn't matter what my players have done to take things off the rails like there's this huge thing that's it's going to happen whether they want to or not it's inevitable and that Could helps be. course correct a lot i do something similar um especially like with um like the homebrew epic sort of storylines i've done um i'll have a scene that i want to happen in my head i might not know how to get there but I know it's going to happen. So, and, and that kind of, uh, keeping it kind of, um, I guess, uh, uh, flexible in where I place it, uh, has helped when players have done something that I did not expect and maybe should have expected. And the game takes a different turn. Uh, you know, I could still drop some of that stuff in and, um, move the story along. Uh, but in the times where I've had a final, boss fight or a major conflict that um, maybe I expect one or two player deaths and I'm looking at a TPK um, and I'm seeing the frustration, you know, fall onto the table and the tables, there's, you know, no one's really smiling. No one's really laughing. Uh, they're getting really upset with every die roll, you know, um, I, I have actually, that's where I've just kind of started rolling dice and saying, Oh yeah, he misses. You know, I've, I've done that just because like, it's, it's not, you know, I, I know I like to talk about getting TPKs and stuff, but I only when it's going to be fun, only when everyone can kind of laugh about it, you know, uh, when I'm seeing something like that, that's when I kind of pull back a little bit and just, all right, this guy's going to miss this round, even though I rolled a natural 20, you know, hey, that sort of thing. Yeah. I have an idea actually 
that I think could help as well, especially during an encounter. Are you guys familiar with the idea of timers? Um, it, the it's from ICRPG, but basically, as soon as you start an encounter, you roll a d4, and every round, when it's the GM's turn, you count it down by one, and when you hit one, uh, there is something that is going to happen, right? Like, the the room's going to start filling up with water, right? And then you roll the die again, and you've got, you know, that many rounds until something else is going to happen reinforcements or whatever that may be so i i wonder if you could kind of use timers as also just you know if you just have the timer out and you're using it a lot maybe there could be some kind of event you could use to i don't know to to make you don't want to fudge things and you don't want your players like the situation you were talking about where your players aren't having fun and they're you know they're getting you know agitated and and not you know not happy Maybe if you were using timers, maybe you could have something happen that would change the encounter somehow. I don't know, man. I don't know. No, that's actually a neat idea. Cause I, uh, instead of using the timer to add some added threat to the players, you can use the timer to add some kind of boon to the players. And if you set the seeds early in the game, you don't even need to have that timer uh be you know at that climactic battle you don't have to have the timer set you could just say it could it could be used as a safety valve right so you roll your d4 let's say you get three three rounds in the battle is going wonderful for the players they're housing your boss you're just like eh, i'm gonna throw in reinforcements or conversely they are getting crushed no one's you know no one's happy whatever all of a sudden there's like a random explosion or something happens and the room shakes apart and the boss gets knocked down prone for a round. So that gives them that. As long that, as the seeds are planted beforehand, I don't see why that is a bad I, option. You know, I think it's actually kind of a neat idea. It's, it's kind of one of those things. What's that saying, Brian, you always correct me on these things. So you, you probably know, but it's something about if, if you show a gun in Act One, you have to shoot it in Act Two, right? What if is you want to increase tension, you know what, I'm talking about? what is it? Or if you want to, um, I, I mean, I don't know the exact phrase. You're giving me way too much credit, but we're talking but about we're talking about plot, though, right? plot points like, and escalators or de-escalators, and you can design and build those into your session. They don't have to be grand huge, uh, you know, the trash compactor starts closing type of moments, you can add subtle twists, small uh, curveballs. Um, there's a, there's a, when I, I used to do script writing, um, you know, Sid Field, um, you know, he, he, he was considered, I guess, an authoritarian on, on design of, of scripts and screenplays to help kind of hit those. Yeah. All right. So, you know where I'm going so the index card technique is a really fun way to create. Well, first off, if you, if you index card, uh, you know, your scenes, um, whether it's a combat scene, uh, a social encounter scene, exploration, whatever else it is. And maybe you just kind of have those, uh, and it's a fun way to run a game. It's, it requires a little bit of improv and each card, you know, you just kind of have like your, your basic premise. Like you said, Gary, your objective, 
All right. Maybe there's a couple of escalators or de-escalators and you can kind of, you can kind of, again, season the taste. Uh, and it, it's, 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 it's fun. It's a fun exercise. Sometimes, you know, whenever you're just like, you're driving, you come up with an idea, write it down on an index card. When you're, when you're at home and you see something that inspires you on YouTube or whatever, some parkour guy that, you know, write on the index card. And then, all of a sudden you got 15, 18, 20 index cards. And now you start labeling them by type of encounter, create your type of encounters, have a couple of escalators on there. And if you find yourself in a situation where maybe a party's resources were drained intermittently or, and they need a breather, or it was just a cakewalk, you can use that technique to kind of adjust the temperature and, and give your group, for that session, maybe a challenge that neither one of you anticipated, <laughs> you know, but is that, is that, that does require preparation. It requires preparation. Yes. Yeah. No, you should always have some kind of idea, you know, and that's, um, you know, first off, getting back to the, the original tweet that we talked about, and I'm just going to do this for a minute here. I, I generally agree. You shouldn't bend the rules. What you should be doing is creating encounters that are challenging and satisfying and working to refine that. But when you have to, you have to, right? So let's just close that one right there. Um, I think that using story, if you, if your story is deep enough, there's whether it's inside of an encounter, whether you made a mistake uh, in telling the story, whatever it may be, there's a way out. I mean, you're, you're God there, you know, you're confidently omniscient. Um, jeez, I'm sorry. No, I get lost you, in thought and I also walked past my kids video game, but you understand what I'm saying, right? It's not, um, I think that the story, if you are confident in how you tell the story to your players, you can get yourself out of a lot of situations. Curveballs that are brought in that aren't necessarily combat related can change the tone of an encounter immensely. So if you feel that the, you know, the, the, the horse is broken free from the chariot, well, you know, fucking, I don't know, random lightning weather, weather, weather is one of the great ones. I had, I had that situation happen out of the blue, uh, the guy, one of my players, my, one of my players yes. who is a storm, he's a, a storm priest. And he just happened to remember the nature of how his call lightning works. And because I roll random for weather, well, shoot, they nuked uh, one of the, the big, uh, big boss fights with, uh, by using weather to his advantage. You know what? I, I wasn't going to make that encounter any more difficult because you know, he, he got lucky. He played it right. Um, but the next encounter that I put together, some sort of curveball temptation floating in the swamp glimmer, like, what do you want to, so, you know, some of your players, they'll, they'll, they'll bite on things. Um, but, uh, yeah. Hey, Hey guys, you know what? Um, I'm another example of something that you can do. We just played star Wars that has obligation. And I can tell you that I have had a situation, nothing was really going bad, but I had rolled somebody's obligation and they had a bounty on them. And I was just waiting for the right moment for that bounty hunter to show up. And when the players were being chased by the other pirates 
and their ship like they, they could almost take no damage here comes his bounty here comes this bounty hunter i just been waiting to fit him in and there he was it's part of the story we had seeded it before and the bounty hunter wasn't gonna let the pirates get them because that's his you know what i mean so you, i i didn't make the situation any less dangerous necessarily I just added the new something new for them to bump off of. And there's failing forward as as game masters. We can always rule that a situation is increasing in tension or decreasing in tension, depending on the on the temperature of the session. But but, you know, Matt, the other part that you bring up, which is obviously one of those things that is always frustrating or disappointing as a game master is where you've lost some thread of the group narrative and one of your players because you did such a great job with that npc or that prospective plot point they bring it up it's important to them it's it, it is a hook um do you do you have any of your players take notes or anyone like uh do, do they do equal do they do any heavy lifting uh in terms of helping you also keep keep track of the narrative or even i i i I have one player who does that in my Dragon Heist game. I can hear him typing away on his keyboard because we're doing it on Fantasy Grounds. Um, my other player, even my homebrew crew, I think that's more because we're friends and they, they know I'm not going to get on their ass about it. Um, uh, they don't really take that many notes. And my one friend who does try to take notes, he freely admits, he's like, I'm really bad at taking notes. I was looking at my scrap sheet and I have a bunch of names. I, I have no idea what they mean, <laughs> you know? Uh, so no, I don't usually have that. Um, but I, I, it, it's, it's never, it's never been a problem because I usually do a recap uh, in the very next morning uh, from our, our sessions. I'll type out a huge email kind of stream of conscious. Okay. Here's everything that happened. And then I can, ref I can refer to it um, and then they can refer to it, but it's like those every now and again, kind of like a typo, right? Pops up. It happens. I forget to put something in that recap and then, you know, uh, someone brings your it up. players should be paying you. <laughs> this from the guy who balances four or five professions. <laughs> um, I'm going to, I'm going to not only uh, copy this uh, podcast uh, particular session. I'm going to make cop. I make copies. I'm going to send them all to my players as Christmas gifts. I'm going to say, guys. Listen to what Gary Hey, Gary, <laughs> with your experience with narrative systems, whenever you yeah. have a situation where it does feel like it's it's a little bit in the, uh, I don't know, static or danger zone, do you ever kind of enlist or solicit your players to involve themselves in the correction? Um, not directly. Not directly. So if we're talking about the uh narrative dice genesis in particular um there are xp rewards for playing towards your character's uh motivations right it's not like it's enforced that you have to you know do this or you're going to change alignment or something like that but you do um it's encouraged you're encouraged to give extra xp for you know characters who play towards their motivations um so a lot of times I just have to introduce, you know, an NPC or obligation or something like that to keep them focused. Um, I also tend to try to make 
as many stories as I can personal to the characters. You know, there's so many times in role-playing games where the characters get a job. You got to go steal this. You got to kill this guy or whatever. And it's this totally impersonal, almost video game-like, you know, seek and destroy mission. Um, if you can take that and and turn it to where it's personal, if you have uh, NPCs that are attached to your character, even in a first session, if you just have somebody that has a disabled brother who's on his way to live, right, on, on some colonial sci-fi world, I put that dude in danger, and I know exactly what your character is going to do. You know, I'm the, the, the objective is no longer you have a job, go accomplish this goal. The objective is, hey, your brother's being held hostage on a pirate ship in orbit around this planet. And then, and then I just, you know, that's more, does that make sense? No, that I mean, focuses. yeah, it's, it's good brain space. I mean, just, yeah, at, it, at, I mean, well, yeah, it focuses things. Have you, Gary, have you, you know, with this sort of narrative dice, um, you know, Genesis system and anything, I guess, similar. But have you ever had a um, player um, basically, I guess, narrate something or whatever, you know, with like a triumph, uh, something that is completely, completely unexpected, doesn't at, at all fit with the tone, the feel of the story that you've been putting together, the campaign, um, you know, does something that's completely just, I don't well, want to say wrong, but I mean, it almost is, if that makes well, sense. Well, I mean, that's the, not really because the die rolls are situational, right? So if you're making, say, a knowledge rule, you know, and, and someone gets a triumph, right, on that knowledge rule, you know, he was rolling towards a specific goal, and the triumph is going to be like an and, right? And you found this. So, you know, it's, it's always related. Yeah. I mean, they don't get to, they don't get to do research in the Jedi library and get a triumph on their research. And then, you know, the bad guy's spaceship gets a bad motivator because of it. Right. Like it's all related to the die roll sure. related to that action. You know, here's the other thing guys is I don't, we talk about players, you know, kind of taking things way off the rails. And I, that's, I, I feel like um, that's just super avoidable. One, like I say, give them a connection and you can, you can make your players do whatever you want them to do. Give them a personal connection to the story. The characters have a personal connection to the story. Um, and don't, uh, yeah, let them go off the rails. Imagine that the world that you've created, <clears throat> excuse me, is kind of like GTA, right? Like, sure, if they want to, they can run around and do whatever, but the city's going to react to them. The setting is going to react to them. It, it's, I, and, and, and as far, like, I don't have any murder hobos, I can tell you that right now. I, I end those people real quick. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I don't find it difficult to keep players focused. I think that's part of adventure design is you have to, you have your players, they're investing in their characters as they're creating them. And then you're taking some of these ideas, you know, the NPCs that surround them, part of their backgrounds or whatever, and you're tying that stuff into the story that you're 
you know, that you're putting these characters through. Yeah, no, you you can direct them if they get if they go totally, you know, ape shit and decide that they want to do a completely different kind of thing, then it's time to reevaluate the game you want to play or the people you want to play with. The in-between can help so. uh, in setting a session that meets everyone's expectations in a way that, that, that limits our exposure to sometimes these disconnects. Um, how you how we handle downtime or in between getting that that feedback and communication like i use facebook a lot for engagement with my players i'll do polls um you know like you know what what's most interesting let them all vote on it give them like five or six options and then once i see two or three options then i'll remove all the rest of the options okay now you guys vote between these two options and then we get to one option and then it's like, okay, this is what we've chosen. This is where we're going and such. Uh, and then all the other curveball situations that they want to resolve, I'll do like a whole nother set of polls for that to just resolve it. So I don't have to worry about it coming up in the middle of what we've all desi- decided that we wanted to do. Um, our players have things that they want to act upon in the game world. They have, again, like to your point, Gary, uh, they have motivations, they have obligations, they have achievements, they have things that they've got planned out for their character, every bit the same way that we as game masters have planned out uh, for what we're trying to to, to put before them. And it it doesn't need to be a tug of war. It can be a, a seesaw, a back and forth. And by getting communication pre-session and post-session, we can create more situations where we might not make mistakes in encounter design or might not make those mistakes um, in exploring a part of the game world that we may not be prepared or recollect with precision um, that that might create those uh, derailers in the middle middle of the session. Um, Yeah. I mean, Matt, if you've got a guy who's typing away on a keyboard, I mean, yeah, that's, that's somebody you want to reward. You want to nurture. I can't imagine that he was probably the same guy that called you out or maybe not called you out, but maybe said, well, wait, that's what, what these NPCs, why would they say that or do that? Probably wasn't the same person, right? No, it wasn't actually. Um, but that guy has been, um, he's a, uh, he's actually a new player for me. Okay. I've only known him for a few months and, um, uh, he's, I think been only playing fifth edition for like a couple of years and that's it. That's, that's like his D and D role-playing experience. So okay. That's an important relationship, then, right? You and, don't want to um, jeopardize it. You've got somebody that's fairly yeah. new to the hobby. They are taking time to yep. pay attention to the details that you're putting out in a way that's maybe different from your core group or veteran players. So yeah, you want to foster that. You want to foster that engagement. Um, yeah. Cool. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I've been, I've been like, I do, have been leaning on him every now and again um, during our, you know, pregame recap. I'm like, okay, so this is what happened, you know, blah, blah, blah. Jim, did I miss anything? (laughs) You know, that kind of a thing. And, uh, uh, but yeah, it's uh, uh, having that kind of a player is great, Uh, especially considering from what I, I kind of know of some of his, the games that he's played in, it's all been very combat heavy. And my dragon heist game is the complete opposite. It's very RP heavy. So I've been very conscious of like what he wants out of the game uh, in terms of seeing his character become a badass and all, you know, can 
do all kinds of cool things like one shot my villain or whatever. Um, but what has been wonderful and, and surprising to see is that he has really gone along with the whole role playing aspect of it and has dived in. Um, so that that's that to me is like you know uh the opposite of a dm mistake that's like that's my triumph i took a character a player and i'm like look what you can do with this game and he's gone along with it and it's been it's been great um and but yeah i i agree players like that i think game masters should rely on them if they're going to be taking they're going to be this the 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 secretary so to speak right they're just taking the notes for the session you know reward them lean on them uh and then yeah you can avoid some of these uh uh hopefully these situations where you don't have to do like a, a retcon you know oh sorry guys i totally forgot about this actually this is what happens you know hey how do you this is going to seem off topic but it's not how do you use time in your game like, do you, um, I guess what I'm saying is, is you're talking about players, we were talking about players kind of, you've made a mistake and maybe the players are going a different way than you want them to, or, or whatever it may be. Do you ever put them under a time pressure? Like you only have so much time to complete this task. I've never really done anything like that. I mean, there may have been a couple like, uh, you know, trap type encounters or, um, maybe once like a long time ago, like kind of like an adventure that had like a time limit. Um, but right. I, I'm using like real world time. The only, you know, uh, the only time I pulled out like an hourglass is I have a couple players that will not prepare their actions while everybody else is going. So then when it's their mm -hmm. turn, we're waiting like 20 minutes while they hem and haw over a spell. So I'll pull out the, uh, this little hourglass thing I have, and I'll just look at them. I'm like, you have this much time left to figure out what you're doing or your character is sitting there, you know, twiddling their thumbs or something. Right. But in right, terms right. of like in game time, like, I'm really bad yeah. at keeping track of that. I'll be honest. <laughs> so, no, I, I hear you. And I think that is one of the skills that um, game masters kind of learn later on. Cause I think it's, it's a, it's, I think it's really important to know how to kind of speed your game up, how to add a time pressure to it, you know, how to ramp up that feeling of, you know, urgency. Um, one of the ways that I really like, and I'm not using it right now, I toy with the idea of introducing it to my game, but once again, um, I see RPG, you know, everything is in turn. You never leave turn order. It works like a board game. GM sits down, everybody else sits down, you know, at the table and it, you roll initiative. It starts with the highest roll and you go around the table. There's combat turns there, you know, there's seconds, minutes, hours, days, and each of those can be a turn. And I just, I just wonder if that might not help. You know what I mean? Just like a very a stricter way of playing the game in turn order all the time wouldn't help with players kind of going off the rails, you know? Um, I think that's a, a neat idea actually. But um, I mean, in my experience, um, you know, I've run a lot of like Epic type campaigns, not episodic. And um, you know, when the players are vested in the Epic story, I mean, they're, 
they're going to go. In fact, I, I was expecting more side quests with my homebrew crew and they looked at, I actually mentioned it. Hey guys, how come you're not doing all these side quests I'm dropping? And they're like, uh, cause there's a dragon rampaging across the countryside and we have to stop it. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I get it. You're, yeah, you're, no, you're invested no. and that's, and that's fine. So that I've shifted gears. And so that's all we're really focused on now, which has made things yeah. kind of fun. <laughs> Brian, no, I mean, I'm, I'm getting a chance to to be a little bit, you know, of a listener and hearing two of my fellow GMs who have, um, I, I don't mean this, I, I, I won't say y'all are diametrically different, but you both have very, very strong tangents to how you how you plan or execute that I'm already hearing and having been the player already also in both of your, of our, you know, uh, podcast games. And it's really cool to, to see all the different, um, the vantages that we, that we take in how we design and how we execute the complexity of a game. And this is something that's really changed a lot over the years. The mistakes that a game master makes now, are far more uh, able. It, Matt, it doesn't surprise me that some of your frustrating maybe gaffes that you feel are relating to story and narrative because this is how the game has changed. It's changed from the mistakes of the person who didn't uh, design a map uh, that made sense uh, geographically or made some mistake in, in using one of the Gygaxian uh, uh, elements of encumbrance or whatever it might be, the game master's mistake ratio has exponentially increased uh, to such a degree with, with each edition, except for fourth, we Voldemort, Voldemort, Voldemort. Um, but, but now because <laughs> yeah, right. of all the complexity of rules, we feel we have to master that it's dizzying. Of course, we're mortal. We're going to forget a few things. Um, the course corrects uh, whether you know it's, whether it's a fail forward, fail back. Uh, working behind the scenes of how you how you start to add new challenges when you didn't expect to. Um, less is less is more. Like the more detail that we throw out there, the greater the chances that there might be a, a gap or we don't connect A to Z. And sometimes just going in with a little bit more of a, of a bare bones approach, whether it's with how we design the encounter or, um, or moving more quickly through, um, through, through things that are time wasters and just getting to the meat, like, you know, Gary, that's something you're you're a very strong proponent of. You like to get in, already be eating the hamburger, and go ahead and leave the restaurant before the last fries are in the basket. So you, that that's it's it's interesting to hear both of your viewpoints because you are two kind of very different game masters, which is which is a good thing. It's a great oh thing. for sure, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think every game is different. I mean, that's why it's. It's for me. It's really weird to have like a, a a new gamer who's never played anything before. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's fine. I, it happens, but you know, it's. I know that my game is run differently than the guy next door, and his game is dramatically different from the other person. And yeah, I guess you know, my game really comes from wanting 
to be around the table and to have something more akin to like a movie or a TV show. And I don't just mean episodic. I mean, I want a story arc. I want, I, I like completion. It's like a circle, you know? Um, and that doesn't mean I want the game to be on the rails. What it means, you know, a lot of times it's just presenting a problem and seeing how the players go about solving it. I, I don't even know how they're going to solve it sometimes. Sometimes I don't even care. Here's your problem. What are we going to do about it? Um, but yeah, I want it to be more... I, I, I don't want there to be any fat. Have you guys read comics? You guys, I don't, okay, so when you write comic books, you're dealing in real estate, right? You only have so much space, and you have to make room for the art, and you still have to tell a story, but you can't put too many words on the page, or you can't see the picture, you know, but you, you, there's an economy of words. There's absolutely, in a good comic book, there's no fat. In a good joke, you see a good stand-up comedian, and, they, and the best of them can make you laugh with five words. If they go to six or seven, the joke is, is ruined, right? Um, the guy that plays 10,000 notes on stage, but you only hear three, you know, it's, it's who do you like more? You know what I mean? You, you like the guy who hits the right notes at the right time. So for me, it's all about efficiency and economy. And the other thing is, is I used to have players that every single thing I said, they hung on, right? So if I said, you know, if I described something in a room, they thought it was important because I was describing it. You know, oh, we need to go look at, let's investigate it. Can I make a roll and check for traps? You know, and it's just this whole thing. So why even bother with that? You're in an elaborately decorated room with gold That's one fixtures. of the reasons why I, uh, with, with the games that I anyway. run, I like to put forth um, within the exploration pillar, which has been my main focus really this year, is to make that a, a bit more enriching to where they don't have to worry about prodding every single uh, stone in front of them with a 10-foot pole. They, they basically choose exploration tasks and there's DCs involved in that. So that removes like a, what you're calling the fat of that, that FOMO. They don't have the FOMO. They don't have the fear of missing out on, well, I missed that secret door right. or, or that illusion or tripping. So that I've noticed that that's given my players a lot more comfort that, you know what, if your character is designed or engineered or you rolled well enough using whatever your skill sets or tasks, you're going to hit it. Like that's going to come up. We'll see what happens with it. Um, you bring up the economy of, of storytelling and uh, it, it made me think of, and I, I really don't, don't know where I'm going to go with this, but I want to go with it just because it brings out the comic book fan kid in me in like 84, there was the GI Joe silent, silent interlude. And it was a story that was told, uh, Snake eyes, snake eyes, snake eyes, and storm shadow, yeah, and there wasn't a single eyes, line of dialogue. Baby. This was pretty revolutionary, you know, for thirty six years ago, and it was such a potent way of illustrating action, because the nature of any good character is action, and how do they, uh, how do they, how does that agency play? So it makes you think about well, what is action in a role playing game, that a tabletop role playing game? Action is not always combat. 
action is not always uh, something that's going to, you know, do the Scott Pilgrim that explodes into coins and shit. So how can we create meaningful action in our games that our, that our players get to enjoy that really doesn't become an area where we make mistakes. We're giving them options. So now we're no longer in the worry of, Oh, I made a mistake in, 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 in coming up with this, uh, this situation. How can we, how can we give them that sort of uh, the ability to tell their comic book without a line of dialogue? Like, what is your character doing? Like, why, why are you like, I mean, if you got small groups, I guess you could do this a lot easier in a group of six, seven or eight. No, nobody wants to sit there and go around the table. But um, but yeah, I guess you got to you got to you got to figure out if you if you got the player base patience for that. You know, I don't know. I, I, I have to tell you real quick while you're talking about that in my mind, I'm designing a silent stealth session where if the players talk to each other, it might set off an alarm. And then they have to talk to me directly about what they want to do with their character. And I will not answer. What a challenge, right? If else. their players can't truly huh. communicate, what happens when you take away the agency of communication? And that's interesting. Yeah, we started, we started in media res. We started in media res. It's a break in where they have to, you know, steal the MacGuffin, free the prisoner, do whatever. You guys have just broken in. There are alarms everywhere. It's sound. Yeah, everything. If you talk, you know, if you yell, if you drop anything, alarms go that's off. Fun. Roll initiative. Yeah. Damn, yeah. that's a good idea. So what are, the, uh, what are the unforgivable <laughs> sins of Game Master mistakes? What are the ones that, that, that either we've seen firsthand, accidentally had? Like, what are the ones that it's almost point of no return? Or it is, it's it, it's definitely left a sour taste. Well, I will start before I answer that question because I do have. I actually was thinking we should talk a little bit about like the big don'ts. Um, uh, I don't think any mistake like the ones I've used uh, as examples this session, uh, this session, or Gary or Brian you've mentioned. Um, can't be fixed. Um, you know, we have our toolbox, right? And that's what we do. We, we adapt, we, we, we be flexible and we do what we can to sort of, um, uh, uh, use our master of illusionary sort of skills to keep the game moving forward and fix whatever we did. Um, I don't think, you know, they can't be fixed. Now, the things that I do think are huge mistakes and these are not like in game. These are really more how you present yourself as a game master. I think are mistakes like, uh, you know, uh, if a player makes a mistake, you know, maybe they just don't understand like a rule or they don't understand uh, a, a, something you communicated to them about um, some information that they may have picked up. They misunderstand uh, not correcting the player. I think letting them wallow in their um, mechanical misunderstanding of the game or this uh, misunderstanding of some information that will have a negative impact down the line, um, I think that's a mistake that a game master uh, shouldn't uh, make because I think it will... Um, how do I want to put this... Uh, wither away the trust that the game master has with their players. Uh, that that's like the big one. I, I, that's coming to my mind right now. Um, 
just not making sure your players know exactly what they're supposed to know both at mechanically and, you know, in terms of the story that you're trying to give them information. Um, an example would be your character, your, the, the player character makes a successful insight role while talking to a villain and, you know, it's a, it's a successful role. They should understand the, you know, the villain's motivation or whatever. And uh, the DM communicates something and the player completely misinterprets it and bases that misinterpretation and creates like a, you know, an entire, I mean, it, it becomes the reason why the game sure. goes off the rails. You know, I think the DM should say something like, no, 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 that's right. not what I meant. This is what I meant, that kind of a thing. Uh, I think that's because that's just embarrassing for the player too. I think because then they feel stupid, you know. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> I oh big don'ts, unforgivable sins, huh? Um, you know, I really, I think. I've only seen this a couple times, but sometimes there is a competitive nature between the game master and the players. Um, it's sort of a us versus him kind of thing. And that can be fun in the right situation, but the game master Absolutely. can't let that get out of hand. You know, um, it can, you know, like you were saying earlier, it is fun for the players, you know, to struggle through a tough encounter and, and to come through it. And I have admitted that I will let a character fall off a ledge every now and then. Um, but I don't think you should be trying to, you know, I, I don't plan player deaths. How's that? You know what I mean? I don't, at no point am I like, oh, this guy's going down tonight, you know? Um, and I've seen really like, you know, you'll get a powerful, especially in Dungeons and Dragons, you know, being younger, high school, early college age years whatever where you there is a sort of adversarial thing where maybe a player's character gets really powerful and all of a sudden the gm is like or the dungeon master is like you know i'm i'm taking this kid down you know we're sort of dragging at him just like i'll show you um and this is like i say it can be fun sometimes just don't let it go too far i also think you know don't the big thing is don't tease the reward too much. Um, if your players just went through, you know, four to five sessions to, you know, to have their characters, you know, go through a big quest and find the magic ring. And you told them the magic ring was going to be there. Unless you've planted some seeds or it's just that kind of game, you know, don't. Don't completely pull the rug out from under him. Oh, it's a fake. You know what I mean? Or something like that. You know, let them achieve. You've got to let your players achieve the goal. You also have to pull the rug out from under them after they've achieved that goal, though. That's your job. You you show them the world that they're in. You do something that, you know, sets them in action. And then when, when they achieve something, you hit them with something harder. When they fail, you give them a ring. You mentioned about uh, you don't plan so, uh, character deaths. I don't plan character deaths. 
but I do prepare for death, if that makes sense. This wasn't just off the heels of our of our podcast uh, a month or so ago about character death. It, it's it's more from just uh, back to the story element. Nobody wants their character to die like a like a like a flake, you know, like a red shirt. And if I am designing an encounter that is an in you know an an end of end of campaign, end of session, big, whatever it might be, I might have like two to three different ways that that might wind up looking or sounding when I describe it so that it still sounds valiant or at least it sounds, you know, terrifying. Like it just, it sounds critical as opposed to me looking surprised like, oh shit, your character just died. I still want to do justice to my players that I have a, a good description or like something to, to kind of give it, give, give it its, its due, give it its honor. Um, and, and I think then, you know, at least my players get to, well, you know what, my, my, my guy got torn, torn, torn apart uh, by the Etten and uh, you know, that, that sent the rest of everybody else into a blood frenzy. I don't know. Just you, you, you want to have something, I guess, to, to let your, let your, your players know, yeah. that, Hey, look, you, you dropped, you went out, but it's like Boromir. Okay. So when Boromir died, the guy that played Boromir, you know, Sean Bean who dies and everything. No, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about the player who plays Boromir mm-hmm. in the tabletop role-playing game. All right, so he's got to have – we know that there's a chance when the Urukai are in play that one of the fellowship is going to drop. In that case, it was Boromir. And we want that death to matter, even though it happens in the first fucking movie. You know, like we want that to – so I guess that's kind of what I'm alluding to is right. if you're designing an encounter that has a certain degree of, of, of lethality, um, try to – juxtapose it with how it mattered um so Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah no that's right give those give those uh play character deaths give them some kind of meaning if you can you know but that again that that does you know what kind of game are you playing again if you're playing a superhero game or a, you know even if it's like a fantasy game where you're playing the uber powerful characters you know have a funeral scene you know make sure that they died and their body blocked the door so everybody could escape you know what i mean or something do something give it some meaning um yeah i completely agree you know it's, i've been watching a lot of star trek recently and there's a few episodes that end with funerals every time somebody dies you know, they end with funerals and they go carousing. And, uh, yeah, I, it's, it doesn't, I'm as sorry, far as, as far as other unforgivable, be, be so, um, be afraid of it. Bias or inconsistent rules. Like you've got to be really careful. Uh, you know, with a new rule system, you're probably on a certain amount of latitude. Your players will probably be like, okay, sure. Yeah. We haven't really ever covered that spell before or et cetera, et cetera. But uh, if you, if you, if you know the system and your players know that you know the system, you've got to be really careful that you rule fairly and consistently uh, and, and don't just color to taste because it does make the story better. Yeah, that was, now wait a second. Hang on. I do have a question for you guys on this. How many of your players uh, actually uh, read yeah. the rules? <laughs> I 
I mean, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. Now, wait a second. The difference is, let's talk pre-COVID and now. When you were playing with your friends at a tabletop, right, how many of those guys that you played with in person Let me tell you, I had to well? institute a rule that went not just with my homebrew crew, but to other crews that I've been playing with. You get five minutes, tops. If I make a ruling and you disagree with it, I will hear you out. And by five minutes, I don't literally mean five minutes, but I call it my five-minute rule. Um, you have a couple minutes to make your case and explain to me why I'm wrong. <laughs> and if you convince me, I'll change my mind and we'll rule it your way. Uh, and I had to do that because uh, I think, especially with my beer and pretzels grew, I over half the party have read the player's handbook and the DM's guide back to cover like 10 times. They could recite chapter and verse. They were constantly, they, co they constantly challenged me on rules. Like why, why, well, wouldn't it, wouldn't this be what really happens? And I'm like, no, this is my interpretation. And I, I, I have to say, I think I got better at five E because of that, because I'm looking back over to the rule and I'm like, no, because of clause, a on sentence three paragraph two you know i felt like i was you know i played D, &D to get away from being a lawyer <laughs> and here i am being a lawyer playing D, &D. Uh, uh but uh, yeah no they they know the rules and um in my dun in my dungeon crawl game where it is them versus me so it is adversarial but we're we all know you know that's the issue and i don't fudge rolls in that one i when i'm with for the most part right um I get, I get it the most because they know it's, you know, they want to make sure everything's fair. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, but I, do you come from a war gaming background? I really am curious. Like, do your players, do they come from any kind of a tabletop um, like Warhammer or, well, like my home or something guys, like that I've been gaming with them since the nineties. And we did, we do play Warhammer 40 K. So there is that, um, but like the beer and pretzels crew, no, they're just, they just really like the characters and they don't want to die and they want to make sure they're like the toughest guys. No, that's, it really is. That's the motivation. <laughs> they're all power gamers. And uh, that's yeah. why I was just like, no, I, I had uh, like these, this grand, like sort of like epic sort of thing that they could sink their teeth into spent some time working on it they have not been interested in it they just wanted to just go and carouse and kill monsters and collect gold so i was like okay well this is actually going to be a lot easier i can do a monster of the week kind of thing instead of like work on some grand villain um and then when covid started it was just hey let's just do dungeon crawls on fantasy grounds and they're happy with that they've been happy with that um uh I you know what I think dungeon crawls uh, there is something really oh yeah comfortable about dungeon crawls right it's kind of like you know in the winter time and you come yeah. home and your mom's oh, yeah. making chili or whatever you yeah. know it's just um, like ah oh, but uh, it's perfect uh, sometimes to go back to yeah. what you were saying Brian though about bias and consistent ruling that's that was my number two big don't uh, I I've experienced that as well as a player recently actually. Um, uh, and by recent, I mean, I mean within the past year, uh, where I've just kind of, I questioned the, the game master as soon as I started, I'm like, you know, getting a hint, a hint that certain players were getting stuff or rules in their favor more often than others, myself included, you know, some resentment starts to build and I'm just like, ah, 
not trusting you anymore. You know, I'm, I'm not trusting what you're doing and, and this is making the game not so fun. Uh, what am I doing here? I have this idea for a character, you know, why am I wasting my time with this character on this game? So uh, that's my big number two is uh, don't be biased. Like, yeah, I have an adversarial game, but I let the dice fall where they may like 99% of the time that 1% is because I don't want some poor player having to deal with a random kobold nat 20 instant kill shot um, in some random encounter. Now, if it was a planned encounter in the dungeon, that's another story entirely. But, uh, but yeah, like See, and that there we go. We're gonna start. Here's my random encounter thing. If oh, yeah, absolutely. I would let my players absolutely. die in a random encounter, or why have it? You know what I mean? I would let, I would let, I and, and that, but I don't, but, have but on, on the flip side, well, if you're designing one, unless, if you have a random encounter <laughs> system, whatever that looks like, first like, off, they can't all be combat. That's stupid because the real world isn't like that. We'd all be dead. And then, secondly, um, you. <laughs> You use it again to, to to control the pace of the symphony. So it can be a de-escalator or it can be an escalator. And if you need more challenge, yes, because players should have the agency to turn tail and get the fuck out. And you've got to give them an understanding of that. If they want to, if they want to fight stupidly in a in a random encounter that's beyond their means, okay, go for it. You know, but um, you know, you mentioned you mentioned about do 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 our players read the books? I think a lot of our players read the books more than maybe perhaps they used to. Um, I, I I've got two sides of that coin. You know, my buddy's wife, uh, she's mid twenties, young mom, kindergarten teacher. She knows that book probably better than almost anybody else at the table. Uh, because she uses manuals to teach and curriculum, and she—it's really—it's—it's it's awesome. It's—it's it's very inspiring to see a new generation gamer girl really evolve and understand the rules with proficiency. Um, and then on the flip side, I've got a bunch of veteran guys. I'm running—you uh, mentioned dungeon crawl, and it's like a you know warm bowl of stew or whatever. I'm running one this Saturday with with my my veteran group. We haven't really done a full-on dungeon crawl in a while. And but those guys, if if things were to go a bit awry, we're not going to go. They don't want me diving into a rule book. They don't want to be diving into a rule book. They're so cool about it that they just say, you know what, Brian, we trust you, man. We trust you. You're going to you're going to treat us fairly. You're going to give <laughs> us some challenges you know, they, they, you've given us all of the lay of the land to make the decisions on what we got to do. And there's something just so liberating when your players give you that sort of, uh, of confidence that they're entrusting you to just, Hey, you know what, we're going to, we're going to run into this thing. And, uh, and, uh, we're not going to pull out rule books to second guess one another. I have retroactively, I, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Cause this is a milestone campaign, but I retroactively, you know, you award XP if somebody catches, catches a rule or, or, or understands better how a certain mechanic works. But, um, but the day that we're playing tabletop role-playing games and everybody's looking in books instead of at each other, that's not a game I want to play. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, 
I'm think as we're talking, you know, obviously I'm thinking about it, and I guess my players do read some of the books. It's you know what I'll tell you the truth. I think it's much. I think there are certain systems that are more attractive to players as far as you know buying the book. Like for some reason, I don't think that uh, Star Wars Genesis, maybe even Fate Core. Um, I don't think that those books are real attractive. Like players, maybe because the system is once you understand the basic mechanic, it's really simple. You don't need it a lot. But something like Dungeons sure. and Dragons, where you have like the player's guide, you know, um, I think maybe that helps. And it, I think you're right. I think players do read the books more. And it's not that I don't want them to know the rules or that I'm fudging the dice, you know, on a regular basis. I mean, it's actually pretty rare that I fudge dice at all. But at the same time, I mean, you know, look, if everybody that said they played D&D actually read the books, the book sales would be through the roof, man. Right? Like, this would be the most <laughs> banging hobby in the world. Everybody plays, but you know, the dungeon master has all the good stuff. So I, th- yeah, I've I don't noticed, know. Actually, I'm oh, going to think about that. Sorry. Soon. I was because just going to say, I, when, when I've noticed no, ahead, my sorry, players, um, again, it's, it's, it's more about their, their particular characters survivability. Uh, that's when like the rules discussions come up. If I'm just like making offhand rulings about this, that, or the other thing. Yeah. Make an insight check, make a, this check, make a, that check. Usually it's not a big deal, but when the rules discussions come up and, and they're, they're double checking my, my understanding of my ruling or whatever. Um, uh, uh, that's when this sort of thing happens. In fact, uh, I, I actually had this sort of like epiphany sort of out of body experience moment when I was doing my alien game. Uh, we were all still learning the rules and it's a very simple set system. Uh, but one of my players who is, a, can be a rules lawyer when he wants to be, he's actually very good about not doing it most of the time, but he was wrestling with a face hugger. He's about to die. And all of a sudden he's like, uh, 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 but this skill says I can use it to get out of any dangerous situation. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, but the face huggers grappled you and I need you to make a strength check. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's like right. a self-preservation I think is like, I want to say like 80% of the reason why you have those kind of rules challenges. I think the other 20% of the time is just power gaming, uh, which really drives me crazy, but that's a discussion for another time. Uh, 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 but yes, they, they are reading the rules. Um, and, and, and that's great because I remember back in the day I, there, I had plenty of players who it was just exasperating where they would be, I'd be like, okay, the goblins draw their swords roll initiative and they're all like great what die is that again (laughs) okay so let me ask you another question kind of on that your players that are reading the rule books if you were to hand them say um like the white hack or the black hack or something you know a rule set that's like 15 20 pages long do you think that would be less attractive to them as a game than something that is, you know, hardcover, glossy? Do you think do you think that the game they would give the 
the simpler, less rules heavy game the same chance that they would um, give the beer and pretzels, Dungeon Crawl crew, uh probably not. They're they're five E. This is their reason for getting together and socializing. Uh it's comfortable for them. Uh and uh, yeah, I and I think I don't think introducing a new system with them would work. My homebrew crew, um, I think we're actually there where we're just kind of getting bored with 5e. So, but that's that's really not answering your question. Um, I can say with the alien game I ran, that is such a simple system, and I highly recommend everyone play at least one a one shot of alien. Uh, That, like I said last time we talked you know it was supposed to be a one shot we walked away everyone's like hey aliens on fantasy grounds you want to do a campaign on fantasy grounds with the alien system so they liked it and i think there's a real desire amongst them my homebrew crew and i think it's because they're kind of older not just in in real life but also as gamers they're older the simple systems are actually not just nostalgic but there's a there's a real benefit to the simplicity of the older D and D sort of type systems or a simpler system. There's more flexible, uh, certain activities that are common in a fantasy game like combat don't take up so much time and aren't dominating a a session. Um, so I, I'd like to think my homebrew crew would be interested in something like that. Um, I can't say for certain, but I'm hopeful after my experience with Alien. Yeah. Brian, what do you think? Would you, do you think that – I guess what I'm getting at is, is is it because it's Dungeons & Dragons and the presentation of – my, my, my group I don't that's know. got – Yeah, uh, answer it how you like. I'm sorry. Got all the girls. They – they have all these tabs in the player's handbook, like marked. They, my wife has probably got in her player's handbook because that's hers, by the way. That's her player handbook. I, I'm not even allowed to look at that damn thing. Um, uh, I don't even own a player's handbook. My wife has a player's handbook. She lets me borrow. That's hilarious. Because I got DD Beyond. Anyway, she's got <laughs> probably, I don't know, probably 12, 15 pages that are tabbed. Um, I want that. I want my players diving into the manual, diving into um, it, it. It makes it makes it more. Um, we forget as game masters because we're jaded. We forget what it was like to crack open. Gary, you mentioned it's just so glowingly and fawningly about uh, dungeon crawl classics and just how you're a sucker for art direction, man. You are. You love that, and and so. These are things that provoke player oh, yeah, sure. uh, uh, engagement. So I think that, yeah, of course, was I'm not a big fan of the art direction of the last 10, 15 years because it's not my style. I'm an Errol Otis, uh, you know, Michael Moorcock, uh, Tim Truman guy. Anyway, but uh, but you know, our, our players, these, these girls, they, they got Word. get into these manuals. Kudos to Wizards because you know. Um, Crawford and Merles and, and all the, but even the Monty and all the guys before really from the last 20 years, they found a way to engage players that, yeah, that they like having their players handbook. That's theirs. That's their part of the game world. 
I don't want to take that away from them. Um, I don't, I, I don't want to discourage, discourage them. If I tried to take them, I'll tell you what, I ran basic fantasy interesting. for uh, a couple of years with my wife, her best friend that she works with. So it was, it was three girls and uh, two guys and basic fantasy is very BX light, red box, blue box. And it was great for about six months, but that you could just tell they want more. Uh, it's tough. No, no, no. We had two. We had we had two. Was total it, party were they kills. playing the same characters? And so they had a chance to try months. different concepts. But you know the thing is, is that I think that. <laughs> players have gotten more and more complex every generation it's no different than life every generation is able to handle increasing degrees of complexity in a way more adept than the generation before it and i feel you matt i know we we love that old school the osr we like that that simpler times uh, because it does make it more efficient for storytelling and resolution uh, in game, you know what, you know what, whatever that looks like. But there's we we have to take into account what is it that our players enjoy, curate that group accordingly. Which Gary, you always speak to that, and it's a very important part is curating your player group to. Is it a group that's going to harp on your GM mistakes? Back to our core topic. Or is it a, a group that is uh, inclined to enjoy a certain aspect of the game? I took a poll. I was mentioning about polls earlier. And I remember a poll I did a little bit over half a year ago where I asked all my players to vote. Did they enjoy of these? And think about this for a moment as game masters. Which of these do you enjoy? Do you enjoy challenge, which is like the puzzles, chases, obstacles, game mechanics, resources, whatever? Do you enjoy narrative? which is experiencing the stories that unfolds, like the plot points and how people play a role in that. Do you enjoy fellowship, which is the social interaction with other people at the table, laughs, beer and pretzels, Matt's guys. Uh, do you enjoy discovery, which is learning new stuff? You know, I, I felt that playing the Star Wars Deadwood. That was a, that was a discovery pillar for me. Do you like stuff? which is like the physical stuff, like our players' handbooks and the minis and the maps and diagrams and all these Wormwood $150 fucking dice vaults and shit? Or do you just like expression? Just being there and just creating a personality? That's me. I like expression. So as game masters, we want to be in alignment, make sure that we're back to the other thing that we talked about, I think it was last week or the week before we want to have fun. We want to enjoy our game. And if we curate that with our player base, find some alignment, we'll avoid the mistakes because we have a better understanding of what we and our players enjoy. So I don't know. I'm throwing around a bunch of stuff out there just to kind of, for us to think of. So. No, I hear you. I hear you, man. Yeah, no, I hear you. You know, I don't – we haven't brought up a lot of, like, what do you do if there's a mechanical mistake? Um, we've we've, we've kind of glazed over it, and I – really the reason I feel like I've seen games over is where people rewind the game state. You know, I mean, a mechanical – yeah, I, look, I I can see a, re, a subtle yep. rewind. You know, I think Matt had his five-minute rule or something. I can de- I can definitely see something like that. You know, going back to when we talk about mistakes, here's my 
my basic attitude on, on Game Master Mistakes is this. Deny, deny, deny till you die, die, die. Never, and unless it's a mechanical mistake that somebody can look up in a book or they bring it to your, uh, your, your, your attention or something, just don't deal with it. If it's a story mistake that you've made, turn it around. Turn that story mistake into a plot detail. You already said it. Cat's already out of the bag. How do you work with it? You know what I mean? It's, it's what is, what, what's that Miles Davis said? If you play the wrong note, play it until it sounds right. I mean, eventually it'll, it'll, you'll find a way. Um, I, I really think that's about it. I don't think, you know, once again, Matt, I mean, I, I think you really put a lot into your games. And I think mistakes that might rattle you, a lot of times your players might not even notice. I'd, I'd like to think I, I do like 90 face. some odd percent of the time. You know, but, you know yeah. Yeah, but there are times. It's I mean, crazy, it, too, because if you sure. are playing that's, a more public I've style of game, because I don't just announce, um, I don't just let, I'm, I don't just do public roles. I, I'm, I'm always announcing difficulty checks. What's the difficulty that you got to hit? I let them know armor. I, I mean, I throw it all out there, man. My shirt, my skirt is up. Mm-hmm. My underwear size is known to all. It is up there, dude. <laughs> and my players respect that, though. When I, I tell them, yeah, AC 13, I'll tell them, yeah. I'll say, yeah, you got this, this thing, you, you got, did you do six hits points of damage? Because that's what it's got left. Nope, I only did four. Oh, and you just feel like this palpable tension at the table. They're like, oh, we're so close. And it's really fun. So embracing transparency mm-hmm. can really it – can, it can be a lot of fun. And when things go off the rails, your players don't nearly hold it against you as much because it's all, it's all out there, you know. So – but uh, – yeah. Well, and also, you know, Matt, like you were saying before, when you had made that story mistake, you know, you had a player jump up and say, whoa, 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 wait a second. You know what I mean? Um, that's great, man. I, I think I think that's great. Dude. Ah, man. I just, just lemonade I out of lemons. Lemonade out of lemons. I think, you're, I think <laughs> you're missing opportunities. Oh, I, I agree. I think that's a great <laughs> philosophy. Uh, I don't uh, – um, I don't want to. I think, yeah, well, yeah. Poor Matthew. <laughs> I, well, I was, Poor Matthew. I, don't, I, I brought up the mistakes. I thought it'd be a good. <laughs> I send you a care package of D20. Why did you do that? I was going to, I was like, the second you sent the text, I was, I was about yeah, well, to. Well, I, I thought mistake. Said, I like, I'm, I'm a big on self reflection, you know. So, what, what is it? I had burnout. <laughs> and then I'm like, hey, you know what? Well, I've made mistakes. Hey, you, I'm sure Gary and Brian have made mistakes. No, let's just focus on what the mistakes <laughs> matter. <laughs> you know, I, I really, um, I, I've, I've definitely made mistakes and I've definitely made embarrassing mistakes. But, I, I'm also, um, I'm pretty quick on my feet, you know, that's, that's, I'll give myself that compliment and that, you know, I can, I can think my way out of something pretty quick. And if not, you know, especially if it's a story mistake or a story glitch or or whatever it may be, sometimes the player that points it out, you can just raise an eyebrow to, you know, like I said before, and be like, Hmm, 
you know that that's interesting. Well, and, but also uh, to so Matt, to your point, a lot of earlier, the, are those improvs. You know, the more that we are also you know. understanding and how we embrace the mistakes our players make, uh, whether it's an understanding how their how their class works or, or an ability or a facet of the game, it's like lamentations. Like when you're talking, you don't even know what the hell it is. So as a DM, you just get to reskin the fuck out of it or summoning. It's like it's like its own entity. But with five E, you're right. You're dealing with more absolutes. And the more tolerant, forgiving, and 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 I guess the more nurturing that we are as game masters, when our players make mistakes, they'll bail us out and and give us a little bit of leash, uh, you know. But it, it, I told you guys about you know uh, a couple months ago about my friend who, yeah. uh, you know, he raged and went crazy and all that, and uh, and, right. and so to give you a little postscript on it real quick. You know, I gave him eight different avenues with his character who was imprisoned, and I turned it into such a big centerpiece of the entire campaign uh, because the other three characters that were imprisoned also wound up having some big agency moments. And uh, everything was hinging. Everybody wanted to know what was he going to do? What was he going to choose? And so I had my players, two players, like, when is he? Has he made a choice? Has he made a so uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, after a few weeks of prodding and waiting, he just told me, he says, you know, I'm, I'm done with the character. And I, I haven't really asked him yet why. I haven't asked him, is it because you felt like you failed the group, that you made a mistake? Is it because you're not liking what I'm throwing back at you? I gave you eight different options a couple of them were kind of extreme they a lot of them were punitive though I, i'll admit there was a lot of punitive varying degrees but um you know i i felt like you've been giving him so many options it was at least giving him a chance to if he wanted to play his character from a, a sense of redemption for a mistake that he made in game or out of game metagaming whatever that answer is and i still don't know what it is yet and it's been three months I think it's important to give opportunity to course correct to players because then they will give that back to you. Um, but I feel like uh, I don't know. I don't know if I've made a mistake in letting him retire, not letting him retire his character because I'm still going to use his character in the campaign world as an NPC because I find him very fascinating. But I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe I I just made a mistake in not giving him more because he's only a year old as a role player. Maybe I failed him earlier in the session to give him a, to give him context. So I, you know, I think that we, 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 it's okay for us to doubt ourselves. It's okay for us to second guess our choices as game masters. Um, but if, as long as you're going into it with a spirit of, of resolution that you're trying to find a way out, that's all you can do. Yeah, no, I I think that's uh, I think that's that's right. And you know, you guys, it's funny when you talk about uh, your games. At least for me, and sort of the emotion that is involved in it. I mean, we there's definitely you know emotional roles and everybody, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, or or sadness, you know, when a player dies or something like that. But there seems to be a real like, like Matt's right and long emails in the morning and you're really like, man, I should talk to this guy. He seems really, 
my games are just nothing like that. <laughs> like we're just not, you know, it's sure. strictly. And I think maybe that's an attitude that I project as well. And I think it comes from, you know, I think it comes from, and this is just kind of life in general, you know, for me sometimes time is at such a, a premium and it, at, at such a commodity, it's such a commodity now that, you know, I just don't, there, there's no time to deal with inane bullshit. You know what I mean? I just, I don't have it. Yeah. Players read, there to, read to the nature time, of the coach or, or, the, or the game master or coach, um, you know, cause you are, you are kind of a player coach in a way. Sometimes yeah. we're coaching your players. And so, yeah, Gary, it sounds like you have a, a very balanced, very matter of fact, and let it be. Dude, yeah, that's your album. That's your Beatles album. You're let it be, and you know, and that's 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 great. There's a lot of players that crave that sort of yeah, for sure. Um, I don't want to say dispassionate. I want to say objective and just you know let it flow. You know, free form, free form. And uh, but, uh, but, I, but I, yeah, I've had the opposite. I mean, I've had tears. Yeah, I've had, yeah, absolutely. I've had people shed tears. <laughs> I've, I've, it's crazy. <laughs> it, it is crazy. I mean, don't get me wrong, dude. We've we've had our we've had our moments, like a character character death, especially. I think you know, there's been moments where everybody feels it, and you you feel the air go out of the room, right? But it's it's. I just feel like there's. I've been involved with very few of those incidents where, you know, anybody's even talking about yeah. it. You know, in between game, you know, you guys talk about in between game a lot. Um, and I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm shocked. There's tools. Who has the it's, time you got to remember, that, I'm a I manager. Gotta be, I gotta, so I, I find ways to create, um, I, you know, to create interface and it's mm. on players terms and time. Like I said, Facebook, I have Facebook groups for all of my groups and there's a lot of area for that, for that sense of engagement. I do polls, I do questionnaires, I right. do feedback. And it's stuff that when you've honed it and you have a wealth, well, it's, it's they're instruments, Gary. So, so like you have probably, how many instruments do you own, man? How many instruments do you own? Yeah. You don't want to know, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, I don't want if you knew, if I told you how many instruments were in this little bitty place that me and my kid are living in right now, but those instruments you, you didn't get them all overnight. Pocket, you you built them up. Crazy. You built up an inventory, so. <laughs> and you know which ones to go to when you need to achieve that trusted sound no, or inspiration. No. And so, as a, I guess, as a game master, um, you know, to kind of develop. Uh, right, that right. that that situation where your players can can connect. There's a lot of different tools and resources you can do to to where it doesn't feel like work. Like I don't want you to feel that it it's work downtime because Gary, I bet you'd be a badass downtime DM, GM. I think you 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 probably would would really even though I know you don't play five E and such, you don't have to play five E to to execute some of those ideas of how are we going to pay it forward into the next session. That's right in your wheelhouse. It's a different type of improv, but you are a daddy, and and I know that you, you, right. you you're in a right. band. No. And there's a lot. You only have so many slices of the pie. So, well, it's just, well, it's not just that. It's just you know, it's one of those things where I look. I'm let's 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 get real honest for a second about this, okay? 
and this is the end of the towards the end of the podcast, so I don't want to get too too deep. But let's face it, man, role playing games are not a a hobby that I I feel like working class people can dive into uh, wholeheartedly in like even one or two fell swoops, right? Like I remember being a kid and mowing lawns so I could buy the player's handbook. You know what I mean? It's, I think there's a certain amount of, there's a certain lifestyle which aids, you know, things like downtime and emails and stuff like that. And a large percentage of the population and most of the people I play with, well, I say that maybe not, you know, maybe there's a couple guys who probably would love to get emails at their desks. But most of the people I play with, it's kind of like, you know, boots on in the morning and you, you know, you stop it. Well, you don't stop. You sleep. You know what I mean? It's just kind of one of those things. And schedules, you know, are not always are not always. No, no, you're, you're spot on. You're so, spot on. I, you know, I think you yeah, have to no, look at that as you well. actually I don't know. are I very spot on. And, and I'll just add, on things. I put the time in because as a lawyer, you have to time management is key. So I just know how to find that time. Um, but I also put the time in, you know, those emails help me remember. Um, and uh, it's a great way of keeping notes of like what happened in the session right. and whatnot. Um, but I also put the time in predominantly um, I've, you know, maybe 20% for my players benefit, 30% practically for me, but 50% it's a labor of love. Like I, I identify, I am a gamer. I've, I've been a gamer. I have tried being a musician. I've tried being a chef. I've dabbled in art. I've, I, I'm a lawyer, but it, to me, it's just a job. It's not my, life it's not my end all be all i'm a gamer i love role-playing games so putting that kind of time in sunday morning while i'm drinking my coffee talking to my son while i'm typing away um that's nothing that's fun for me um but i totally agree with you that there's some people for whatever reason um you know that they're either a not into that kind of like engagement online with the facebook groups or they just don't have the time um so I, I always make sure my players understand that, like, yeah, I may offer these options. You never have to feel like you have to do it. And you're not going to be penalized if you don't, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I do – listening to you guys – maybe this could be an episode. Not next episode. Not ne- not next episode. I, I have an idea. But – we could talk about that, you know, what to do in downtime, sort of downtime activities. They do seem interesting to me. And I think it's, it might be a good place um, to maybe do some solo, you know, adventure. I don't know. Did you guys ever read the DC role-playing game that came out by Mayfair? I want to say in the eighties. Yeah. I, I remember it being just not what I wanted out of a game. But some of the fluff was really good, and they called for, um, you know, playing with just having a game master and just one player and doing like a subplot. You know, they reference like the Batman, you know, the the issue where Batman can't sleep. He finally gets a night off. Nothing is happening in Gotham, but he can't sleep, you know, stuff like that. Um, So, yeah, I could definitely see downtime being something that would be cool. I just... 
I am. I don't like Facebook. I really hate Facebook. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a big fan of social media and I have to use it. It's a tool. I actually need to be more careful about it. Um, <clears throat> but I'm not, <clears throat> I don't like that, you know? Um, yeah, I want to. I'm gonna investigate this downtime stuff a little more. I love downtime. It, it just like I, I, it helps me with prep, with so that I'm focusing on so, what matters. Um, but uh, but yeah, but I guess to kind of put a bow on everything in terms of the whole mistakes theme of the night, there really aren't any mistakes. Let's Bob Ross this yeah. motherfucker. They're happy accidents. They're happy accidents. <laughs> yes, you know. So yes. let's just always fail forward come absolutely. up you know what and you don't have to fudge dice absolutely you can just adjust the dc um you know so there's lots of different ways i guess you know ways to do it I, I, yeah well and you can always you can always we're putting so much pressure on ourselves but we forget you know, this game was designed originally by a bunch of social misfits that had plenty of time that sat you know in college yeah. They're the ones that had spare time. They weren't lawyers yes. or musicians or multi-unit managers. They were just a bunch of guys that were just trying to make a bunch of money with a great idea that was fun. And they had endless amounts of time <laughs> to sit there and dwell in this uh, design <laughs> space. Um, you know, we are on a whole different, we're on the other side of the mountain. We're past the peak. The peak was whenever you started seeing different types of people at the table that weren't pasty-faced white dudes. And we're past that peak, and now we are in this wonderful new realm of play where people get different things out of this. What might seem like a mistake to an old-school gamer or GM, it's not that. It's play it like the, the band. Play it, what do you say, Gary? Play it like the audience doesn't know that, you know, Yeah. yeah, if you if you play the wrong yeah. note, just or throw it back on your right. throw it back on your players. You know, like <laughs> again, like and yes, that is interesting. What what, what are your right. thoughts on that? Uh, so when you ask, yeah, and a lot of times, I I actually um, the incident you were talking about earlier, where you said something, you know, why I thought they hated us. What's going on? I had something very very similar to that and i just turned it into body snatchers you know anyway sorry <laughs> hey guys listen thanks for talking again tonight i really liked it um i man maybe i should think about my mistakes more often I'll anyway say, i appreciate um, it. any last game masters before don't we cheat. take off for the evening <laughs> they are the rules that's right <laughs> They they do not cheat. Yes. They are confident. They are confident. Oh, uh, you know, no, powerful. No, no, November. Brian, uh, it's got, a man. time when a lot of people are going to be seeing people they haven't seen. Some people have a chance to game with people they haven't. Spend a, spend a few days. Uh, grab a few index cards. Write down some ideas that you can use for improv in your game. Should you design an encounter that you made a mistake and maybe it wasn't strong enough? Or maybe it was too strong and you need a curveball. Um, vet vet yourself and your players for some ideas that you can use to bail you out. Because uh, there will come a time when you're in hot water. Your players won't know it, but you'll feel it. And the more um, 
the more improvisational tools that you've got, it will uh, it'll buy you time uh, until you can catch catch up with the beat. So. Absolutely, man. All right. Bye, well, everyone. hey, guys, everybody, thanks for joining us again. Take it easy, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next week. Night, everybody. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hey, send me y'all's email address. Hey, everybody. Hope you had a good time. Uh, that was interesting. I didn't realize people felt so strongly. You know, GMs and Dungeon Masters have every... they Their philosophy on gaming is so different. If you play in my game, it's going to be one way. If you play in Matt's game, it's going to be another. If you go across the street to my neighbors, he's going to play another way. Um, so we don't have answers. We just have questions on top of questions and ideas. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Uh, and I think we're going to design an encounter. I think we're just going to go straight to an encounter or maybe an adventure. I don't know, guys. Y'all have a good week. Later.